0: Well, while we've got the group coming in here, I'm just going to point out a few things. We, I always just jump in and start going, and there's lots of uh, things in here we haven't talked about. I think maybe you found in the back we have these little worksheets uh, for these little things we were playing with yesterday, the fitness toys. <laughs> and what's kind of nice to do is feature those. Uh, you kind of need little things to get people's interest up and keep them coming back and so on. And, and so the night before we talk on strength, I usually pull it out and say, now tomorrow or next week, when week come we're going to talk about strength and how to improve it and so on. And one of the things we'll do is we'll test your strength. And uh, we'll show it, you know, how it works and maybe have one person or two come up and see how they can do on the grip. And it's just kind of fun. And then people will, oh, yeah, I want to come. I want to do my grip strength and see what it is. And you've got the norms down below here. And if you want, you could reproduce this and and, uh, put their name on it and things and they can keep it. And it's kind of fun, and uh, it keeps them interested. And then when we get ready to do the one uh, lecture on the staying lean, we'll then get the one on the percent body fat and get the little things out there and explain how it works the time before and so on. And so what you're kind of doing is just uh, building some anticipation for the different topics you're going to do. And then tell people to come a little early and they can test before the class begins. And sometimes you might want to have a little exercise session before the class begins, although we usually build in at least a half an hour for exercise with every class. Uh, So just use these. And the same thing with blood pressure. Usually when we do the cardiovascular fitness is when I bring in the blood pressure. And we talk just a little bit about blood pressure, and I, I let them know. I said, do you know that high blood pressure is the second leading cause of preventable death in the United States, only surpassed by smoking? And I said, out of this group, at least one out of every three of you will have high blood pressure. You know, those are the statistics. <laughs> and so that kind of gets people. And tell them, you know, if you have friends and whatever that might be interested to, have them come. We're going to talk about cardiovascular fitness, how to keep the heart and arteries healthy and open, and how exercise plays a role, and and so on. So it's a, a nice way again to build your programs. We have those worksheets for all those areas. And there's samples of the uh, informed consent and a park and of course, we've been using the fitness index a lot. And if you have uh, fitness people in your group, you might want to offer doing this test. It's a you know, nice way of doing a complete fitness evaluation. I've done this with Ni- all of Nike Corporation employees for many years and uh, with uh, Safeway Corporation and with, I don't know, probably 100 different organizations over the years. <laughs> and it's simple, but it's very good. And they get a fitness score between 0 and 100. And then when you come back and retest, And they started out at 30, and they go to 40, and then to 50. And each time you can show them how they're improving. Because a lot of people, fitness improves so gradually that you can't hardly notice it. But maybe the percent body fat's come down a point or two. Uh, Maybe the strength has gone up a few points. Uh, Maybe the aerobic capacity, when you do the walk test again, uh, has improved a little bit. And so it's fun to, uh, to check those things and to show how people are improving. And there's nothing like success to build interest and uh, success in the future, is it? Nothing more motivating than success. So it's a nice way to give feedback. Uh, I do health programs and corporations all the time, and so we always uh, build in that fitness component, even when we do our lifestyle assessment. Let's see. There was one more I was going to show you, the one on the aerobic point system. And I think that's... Back here, close to three. Yeah, just open up right after the third one, and it looks like this. Uh, And it kind of gets into follow-up, too. When you finish your ten weeks and everybody's gung-ho and they're starting their exercise program and everybody's enthusiasm is high and so on, then we get to the end of ten weeks, what do we do? We just say goodbye, been nice seeing you, good luck. (laughs) Sometimes we kind of do that in our classes, don't we? (laughs) We don't have any way to follow up. And it's real important to have a follow up scheme. I think on our table you'll see a printout that kind of shows like a whole year program, way to kind of think it through. But one of the best ways in following up fitness is to have some kind of a program in which they can work all year long. And uh, when we work in our corporations, we have these uh, incentive programs that people have. One of the first places we used this was a Nike corporation again. And everybody would keep track of their aerobic miles. And every quarter, they would uh, turn them in. Actually, they turned them in monthly, but every quarter, we'd have a recognition. And we actually had a, a lunch together that uh, week, and we'd have about six to 800 employees that would come. They'd all have a little lunch there together. And then we would give out the rewards. Well, we had the 100-mile club. We had the 500-mile club. We had the 1,000-mile club. <laughs> and whatever they would reach, we had people of all different levels. They would get a special award. And uh, I remember the Thousand Mile Club, we had a nice big certificate like that and had a big gold seal on it, and Nike seal, and it had Phil Knight, the president's chairman of the board's signature on it. It was nicer than my doctoral certificate. <laughs> <laughs> and people were proud of it. They'd put it up on their wall in their work area and so on. And it gave people something to work towards. So we had these year-long goals. And some people even had to have 2,000 mile awards and so on. So... Uh, you can you can do that kind of thing, and uh, I think through the uh, North American Division uh, Health Department, they have some of these awards. Uh, I de- designed a couple of them two years ago when we were starting the In Step for Life program, and I think they still have those. And so it's nice. You can get them right from the church and uh, have the uh, signature of the department uh, leader on that, Katya's signature. And... Uh, something from the church, and it's something you could pass out. In fact, you might even want to do it between Sabbath school and church or something and say, we have five people in our fitness club. And you know there is the uh, Adventist in Step for Life fitness program, and uh, you can just move them right into that and say, we have five people this week that are going to get their 100-mile award, and and then a few months later there's another four or five people that are going to get their 500-mile award, and then have some of those people share their experiences. Uh, What what has this meant to you? Uh, any changes that you want to share with a group that you've experienced. And people get excited and enthused about that, and they share it. And then you can say, well, it just happens to be that next uh, or this afternoon or whatever, we're going to have another short little uh, program. And if you want to get started on the program, here you can. And all you have to do is come in. You might just show that first one again that's uh, becoming more active and show them some of the benefits and things. And here they can get started. And there's a uh, 10-week somewhere right here. 10-week uh, record sheet for them. Is it 10 or 12 weeks? Where did the, where's the exercise logging sheet? Here it is, just in front of three. Yeah, 10-week fitness log. I think you can also download on the Adventist and Step for Life uh, part of the North American Division. One, You can get one I've designed for 12 weeks or 13 weeks, so it's just one quarter. And you can download that and uh, pass them out. And uh, tell people, you know, give them a little pep talk on it, and, and uh, have people turn in their aerobic miles uh, once a, a quarter or monthly. Generally, it's better to have monthly. You have a little box. Some churches have a little box in the back. We just finished with a church in Southern California that's starting this, and uh, they have a little box back there, and they also have a chart, and they're even more bold. They have a, an easel where everybody signs their name and their goal, and every week, when they come to church, they put in what they did.) <laughs> And they keep track of all their miles and then they're putting up a nice map and they're walking clear across the United States and every week they add up the miles for the group and they move the pin from here to here and they can see their progress across but anyway what does this do well it keeps people going all year long doesn't it keeps the interest and that's what we really need Is not a 10-week program we need a 365 day program for all year don't you so uh, and then once in a while repeat uh, the program for those who want to get in do another 10-week program and and then tell them this time, everybody who went through last time, say, invite somebody to come. And in your community, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your uh, spouse who didn't come last time, maybe it's a friend or a neighbor, somebody that is not a member of the church, and have them come. And, uh, and you can just build your group. I started a fitness club like this when I was at uh, my graduate school at Loma Linda back in 1970s. Let's see, what year would that have been? It was, uh, I think it was 1972. And we got a group together and we started that. And pretty soon they said, well, let's exercise together. And so every Sunday I would plan a run about, we were into really running those days. So we do about a six, six mile run. And later that graduated to eight and 10 mile runs. <laughs> it was a running group. And uh, people began coming and, and they would invite their friends. And I was there three years. And by the end of the three years, we had several hundred members. And uh, now, how many years ago was that, I went back a year or two ago, and now they have 1,000 members. Wow. It's been going all those years. And they have a, a big time and they train people to run the marathon, that's their kind of big thing there. So I said, well, how many miles are you doing today? And they said, well, we're doing 15 miles. I said, well, I hope I can make it. <laughs> and so I joined them and I was able to do the 15 miles with them that day. And and as I was going along, I would meet different people on the on the course and and visit with them. By the way, just as we were starting out, which was early in the morning, here comes back one lady, and she was just finishing. <laughs> and I thought I was getting up early, and she said, "Oh yeah," I said, "I've already got my 15 miles in. I like to get started early." So she was just finishing, and uh, she was in her uh, 70s. Went out and ran 15 miles that morning, feeling good and frisky and <laughs> energetic. And <laughs> And so it was fun to meet all of these. And then on the way back, I was getting pretty tired, you know, and I looked up ahead, and I was just inching up on this other older fellow in front of me, but he was still in front of me, but he's kind of weaving around a little bit. <laughs> so I thought, that's better stop and see how he's doing, and I began to visit with him. And, oh, I'm doing great, you know. <laughs> he was having a big time, and, and he began to explain. I said, well, tell me, when did you start exercising? And he started about six years before that. His name was Dr. Long. And... Uh, he began to tell his story. He says, you know, I had, had gotten to a place in my life. He says, I was about 62 or something. I was, I was tired. I was worn out. I was burned out. And uh, he says, I was a physician. But he says, I'm just going to retire. He says, I was tired of doing all this stuff. And uh, he says, then I joined the, uh, we called it the Loma Linda Lopers. I joined the Loma Linda Lopers. <clears throat> And, you know, he says, uh, the further I begin to exercise, i walked for the first few months, and then I begin to jog a little bit. And he says, the more exercise I did, the better I felt, the more energy I have. And he says, now, he says, I'm 72 years old, I have no idea of retiring. I've got lots of energy and having lots of fun. Why would I want to retire? <laughs> so it just kind of changed his life. <laughs> and he was getting ready to run the L.A. Marathon. And then, then after that, he was going to do one of the, what is it called, the Jazz Marathon or something nearby. And, and he was all charged up about his life. Well, it's just uh, these are people who have gone the extra mile. You don't have to go that far. But it's interesting to see how that works. But the thing that I have found is that when you make it social and you have things together, you do together, and you go out for hikes together, and you do walks together, and have events all the time, and then people can invite people from the community. Most of the people in that club now are from the community, not just from the church. And uh, it's going on, and, and the social impact. Uh, when we did our runs, we always ended up in the park, and I'd have some watermelons and, and cantaloupe and, and peaches if they were in season and whatever, and we'd all have some you know, fruit and things and visit. and And it became a social event. And it was a very strong power to encourage people to stay active the rest of their life. Probably the one thing I've done in my life that has been more effective than anything else was starting that little fitness club. <laughs> now, getting back to where I started, <coughs> Uh, right after three on that aerobic point chart. What this allows you to do is not everybody's going to just walk or run. Some people might like to bicycle, right? You're a bicycler, aren't you? Uh, I'm or, it so i a Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody I talked with here was a bicycler. Who's the biker? <laughs> oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to bike. But how do you put in aerobic miles on the bike? Or if you like to play tennis, or maybe you like to swim? Or uh, ride a stationary bicycle or whatever. How do you change them into aerobic miles? So what I did is took, uh, figured out how much energy you expend doing all these different exercises based on their mat level. Remember, that's the intensity and so on. And figured out how many minutes you'd have to do that activity to be equivalent to jogging a mile. See how that works? So let's take an example down here. Let's say that you're bicycling. Uh, and we've broken it down into an easy, moderate, or vigorous pace because it Depends on how hard you go there. So if you're bicycling at an easy pace, how many minutes does it take to be equivalent to jogging a mile? About 18 minutes, doesn't it? But if you're going at a more moderate pace, something up around uh, 12 miles an hour, then it only takes about 14 minutes. If you're riding fast, around 15, 16 miles an hour. Every 10 minutes is equivalent to jogging a mile. Or you could go down <coughs> and look at uh, racquetball, handball, and squish. So it's 20 minutes, 15 minutes, and 10 minutes, depending on how hard you're playing. So a little bit of subjectivity there, but it gives you an idea. So then you can take any activity you do, whether it's handball, swimming, biking, walking, whatever, and turn them all into aerobic miles and put them on your chart and keep those aerobic miles. And uh, this is what I developed for Nike Corporation about, I don't know, 30 years ago, I guess, just when they were first starting, (coughs) and it's been used in in hundreds of corporations now across North America. It's a real easy way to take all of your exercise, put it in a similar type of thing, the aerobic miles, and then you can have your awards. And we've had all these different awards. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that. We hadn't talked about that yet, but that's what we have people put in there. They might start out walking, but they might want to add a lot of other activities as they go along. Okay, any questions on how that works? Uh-huh One hour Well, it could be an hour, an hour and a half depends uh-huh That's how long it's you. i I'm a long I, I always have so many stories I tell. <laughs> I have a hard time getting it done in a half an hour, so it takes me about forty five minutes. It right? used to be <laughs> yes, well. uh, and then uh, uh and then so, if it takes me forty five minutes to go over, then we would exercise for about forty five minutes, so, so it took an hour and, you and a half the first class, you lecture, and exercise. Uh-huh hmm And it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be just we're, we're gonna, we've got a little path out here, and we're going to walk this course, and every two times around is equal to a mile or whatever it is. And I figured out if we walk around this hospital about, on this hospital, this uh, <laughs> hotel, <laughs> you can see I've worked in hospitals. some. If you walk around this hotel about four times, that's about equal to a mile. So you kind of find, find a course, and then you can do that. And if some of you are real talented, or if you have someone in your church who's real talented and has to put on some music and you all do the exercise to music, that's fun too, isn't it? And you can, you can do some strengthening, stretching exercise. So what we normally did is about, uh, when I did it at the hospital, we would walk between 20 and 30 minutes. Then we would come in and we'd do the stretching or strengthening for 15 minutes. And there was our 45 minutes. And then we did a 45 minutes in the presentation. I had a physician who went through the course up in Spokane. He had a gym. In the little town where he lived, he invited all of his patients to come. He says every uh, he did it uh, more than weekly. He did it twice a week, and uh, he would say, "Come to the gym." He arranged for that at such and such a time, and we're going to walk together, and we're going to have a little talk. So they would show up, and they they would go around that gym, uh, and they had figured out how many laps to the mile, and they would get they going really good and get sweat going, and then they'd pull out the mats, and everybody just sit on the ground on the mats, and he'd have his presentation and. And he did this all winter. He he did it in smaller bites, had more, more exercise time, and then had a little presentation each time. So there's lots of different ways of doing it. Um, and but we got a lot of material here that you can use to help you do that. My computer went off. Just like I say, I'm talking too long here. Um, here. I'm giving you a demonstration and going through the things and taking a little more time to explain it and so on. So you could take those same PowerPoint slides and uh, say, we're going to talk about whatever. And if you forget what I said, yeah, you can, uh, when you get the other sets, there's this speaker notes and things that come underneath there. It can remind you, you know, here in this study, here's what they found, and emphasize this. And, and yeah, allows you to go through and share the same thing. And then each person has their little book. And that goes along with it. And when we start, we always use the pedometers. So everybody has their little pedometer start that out at week one. And uh, with those little tools you'll get real good uh, results with your group. Uh, You know it's hard to know unless you try them out. And so um, I actually uh, have tried out a lot of different ones and worn them and compared them. Sometimes I'd have three on at a time and (laughs) see if they all got the same results and then you can calibrate them by counting your steps for hundred steps and see if it did 100 or at least 98 to 102 somewhere close to there. And I've tested them over the years and the ones we found to be most accurate are the ones that we are selling out here. And we like those and they also have a little watch in them, clock, <coughs> so it's kind of nice for that. And, and, and so we, we like that one. It works real reliable. We've had some other cheaper ones that don't work very well or they don't last very long and they're kind of a toy. So you kind of get what you pay for. So it's a little bit more, but it's a real good quality one. That's the one we use. And if you order those in quantities, they get the price down, too. <coughs> All right. Well, this shut off, so I'm going to have to start over here again. That's something. That relates back to vitamin D. Yeah. <coughs> We're going to have one of our wellness challenges. going to make sure we get enough vitamin D so, uh, so uh, we get a chance to talk about it. That's a good study, yeah. I'll have to look for that on the news today. All right, keeping exercise safe and effective. As we go through the 10 weeks, it just gives us a chance to reinforce some of these things. We talked a little bit about that uh, along a couple of times. But uh, we're kind of zero in on it here a little bit more. Things we can do in our exercise program to keep it safe, prevent injuries, and so on. So our goal is to increase level of physical activity gradually. The important word there is gradual, isn't it? Because if we go too fast, what happens? <laughs> Our muscles get sore. We may develop an injury. The knee may begin to hurt. Uh, the ankle, whatever it is, and then you can't exercise because there's pain there. So every anybody who goes too fast will get sore. <clears throat> I had one fellow that I worked with who uh, was going to run across the United States. <laughs> People get some uh, strange ideas once in a while, but, you know, (laughs) they get uh, real enthused, and uh, he says, would you help me? And I said, sure. I was a nutritionist at that time, mostly, and I helped him put together a a program, and he started out uh, over in Seattle area, and I was living in Spokane at the time, and by the time he got to Spokane, which is across the state of Washington, he had such bad shin splints, he couldn't even walk across the room, (laughs) and he was so discouraged. He said, what am I going to (laughs) do? Am I going to have to quit? I said, No, you just went too far too fast. Your body wasn't able to adapt. <clears throat> and so we iced up the shin splints and got the swelling down and had him rest for a few days and then had him start out just a little more gradually. And then he built up. And then when he got used to it, he went ahead and ran clear across the United States. <laughs> he was obviously in top fitness condition, but anytime you go too far too fast, you're in the likelihood of something complaining or breaking down. Question. <clears throat> I know that, uh, there are some that recommend the training. Uh huh. Is that a good way for some people to really start out? It's a, it's a good way to uh, boost up to the next level. <clears throat> we call it interval training. And I think we'll have a section on that later on, but it might be in this section. But when you have a hard time going, like, from walking to running, and my first wife, she uh, had asthma. It was hard for her to breathe, and she had a real difficult time. She could walk fine. She walked for years, four or five miles a day. But she couldn't go from there to running. And when I started this running club down in California, she wanted to be part of that running club. <laughs> so uh, she, I told her to do interval training, and that's where you just go a little faster for a short period of time. So she would just run for 15 seconds, about all the further she could go anyway. Then slow back up and walk for the next 45 seconds. Then she'd run for 15 seconds and walk for 45. So she did that for several weeks. And then she started running 20 seconds and walking the rest of the minute. Pretty soon she was up running 30 seconds and then walking the rest of it. Pretty soon she was up r- running about two thirds of the minute and just walked, uh, resting for, six, for 15 seconds. What that does is you, uh, you build up a little more gradually because it's too big of a jump to go from walking to running. And so you do the interval training. It took her a year and a half to get to where she could run a whole mile steady. And when she did, the very first time she ran two miles and she was so elated. <laughs> well, within just a few months after that, she was up running 10 and 15 miles. And a few, I think it was just a few months later she ran her first marathon. But it took her a year and a half to get up to that place where she could run steady. So that's this principle again here, isn't it? Two things. <laughs> Going gradual And then being persistent. (laughs) I had kind of given up. I said, you know, you may just want to walk and jog. That's okay. But no, she wanted to make a runner and she did it. She ran several marathons in her life, too. I think she ran 12. Okay, so physical activity is safe for most people. And most people won't get injuries doing what kind of exercises? Moderate. That's why we like them to start out. And you saw a list earlier on of what the moderate activities are, that's the best place to begin. Walking is one of the best ones. And when they do occur, the most common problems are right here. Sore knees, ankles, and feet, and sore muscles. Any of you here have some sore muscles? <laughs> uh, we've been trying to go into them easy. But if you jump in too fast, almost everybody will get sore, some sore muscle somewhere. So, uh, but that's just a sign of new life coming into those muscles. <laughs> Also a sign that you're growing up a little too fast, so kind of ease back a little bit. So if we're going to follow these safety guidelines, we'll minimize these risks, and then we'll talk a little bit about sports injuries, and maybe you can help us a little bit on that too, because you deal, I'm sure, with a lot of sports injuries. (laughs) All right. So we need to choose activities appropriate for your age. As we get older, we need to be more careful, don't we? It takes longer for the body to adapt. If we're overweight, we need to adjust for that. Our fitness level, if we haven't exercised for five, ten, fifteen years, then that's a sign we better start out pretty careful, doesn't it? And then if we have some health conditions as listed up there, we need to be very careful. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't exercise, just needs to you need to make sure that you do it carefully. So the safest activities then are moderate intensity. In other words, you don't get your heart rate too high to begin with. Your breathing but not being out of breath. And uh, your heart rate goes up some, but not real high. It's low impact. Uh, that would mean that you don't start out with jogging. Jump roping is high impact. <laughs> you wouldn't want to start there. You want to get make sure your body is used to that and ease into it, or don't do it very long at a time. Um, don't involve purposeful contact with others, such as some competitive sports. Football wouldn't be a good place to start, would it? <laughs> and other contact sports. So uh, some things that are kind of moderate. Bicycling is easy on the body. I have found that uh, running is probably one of the harder things that you have to adjust to. But biking is pretty easy. And if you have a lot extra weight, that's easier, too, because you, you don't have to put all the weight on those joints. Um, and you can see some other kinds of things listed down here. More moderate activities. Swimming is a good one. And when I built my house a few years back, I put in a lap pool, because with all those years of running, I knew it wasn't going to be able to do it forever. <laughs> and when my knees started to hurt, then I'd have something else I could do. And so I'd walk now and swim. Golf would be an easy one. Gardening, yard work, those are all examples. Uh, we could put, with the swimming, uh, water aerobics. Very gentle, isn't it? And then another one I would put on there would be that elliptical trainer where you're walking, but your feet don't actually, you know, do that so much as they just stay placed. So all of those things decrease the impact or the strain on the body, and when you're first starting, those are good ones to do. Where would the treadmill come to that? Well, that'd be like walking, wouldn't it, except okay. if you Is put it on true? a grade. Sure, uh-huh, same thing, except if you put it on a grade. And so when you're first starting, you probably want to start level and then gradually work it up to where you're climbing up hills. Uphills would make it a little more strenuous, wouldn't it? So, sure, it'd be fine. Manual treadmills. Do they work okay, manual ones? uh... Powered ones? Sure, Uh as long as you're walking. Uh, And then when you first start, it's easier on your body, instead of doing it all at once, if you put it into shorter sessions. So you might want to do two to three five-minute sessions per day for someone who's not used to any exercise at all, Uh, or uh, one to two 15-minute sessions, uh, or 10-minute sessions. And... uh, 15 minutes a lot of people can do, but if they go a half an hour, they're going to hurt. They're gonna, something's going to, you know, if they're not used to it. Uh, if you're young and healthy, probably won't be a problem. But anyway, breaking them up is another way to make it easier on the body. So you do shorter sessions, but you might do a two or three of those sessions. <clears throat> now, are you familiar with warm-ups and cool-downs? Anytime you start an aerobic exercise session, it's e- best for you to ease into it. So when I was running, I'd just walk the first few minutes, just walking briskly, get your heart kind of going up, get your muscles ready for more things, and getting warmed up, and then when you're ready, take off and go running. Um, If you're bicycling, you just start at a real easy pace and first few minutes, and then as you get used to it, then you can pick up the pace if you want. So it's just starting with something easy and then working into it. If you're playing golf, it's good to warm up a little bit. What are you going to use in golf? Well, you're going to use your arms, and you're going to use your back, aren't you? So doing a few little things to warm up, and maybe even some stretching and so on, and take your putters and begin to move around. And then when you get up there and really swing on that first one, you're not likely to hurt yourself. (laughs) So whatever it is you're doing, uh, warm up is important. And the same thing in the cool down. When you finish your exercise, if you're out working really hard and your heart is pumping and so on, and if you just stop exercise, where's all that blood going to go? Well, it's rushing down to your leg muscles, usually. And if you just stop and stand there, uh, all the blood pools down there. You don't have much blood coming back to the heart. It's easy to get uh, lightheaded, even to faint. People have done that. And so when you've been going vigorously, what's the best way to cool down? Walk for a little while at an easy pace. So if you're at the gym and you're working on the treadmill and you're all done and you hit the button, don't just hit stop. Bring it down until you walk for several minutes. And when you're walking, it does something else in that cool-down period. It takes all those metabolites and wastes that your muscles are producing, and it helps to m- remove those from the muscles. If you just stop, they tend to pool there. And that tends to make the muscle more sore, too. So you work all of that out and gradually restore yourself to normal. Do you doing like a fast walk like we were doing the other day? Do you need a warm-up or cool-down or something like that? Yeah. And maybe you noticed when we started, I said we're going to walk for a little bit, a couple of blocks, and we'll just kind of walk along at a nice pace to get us warmed up, ready for the more brisk walk. Okay. And, and what about a cool down? And you still want to cool down even in that? Yeah. Block, mm-hmm. hmm yeah. Just ease up and walk back. And what it does again is your heart's just racing along and pushing this blood out as fast as it can. And then if you just stop, you know, <laughs> it takes a while for the body to adjust. And so uh, your heart slows down gradually then. And while you're doing that, you're still keeping the blood flowing because when you're walking, your legs act like a pump. If you're just standing there, they tend to pool. But it's our muscles that actually squeeze the veins. You see, there's no pressure in the veins like there is in the arteries. And what, does it get, what do you have to do to get that blood back? Well, it's our movement. So walking are like little pumps. When we, if we take a step, it squeezes those veins and helps the blood to come back up. And so it normally restores you back to a resting stage. Well, here's what they recommend. What does it say up here? Uh, It doesn't say. They recommend uh, three to five minutes. If you're older, it takes longer to adapt. Five minutes is probably better. If you're younger, probably three minutes is probably enough. Okay. So anyway, just a good principle, warm-ups and uh, cool-downs. So easy walking before fast walking. Gentle calisthenics and things are a good way. Stretching for active sports, such as tennis, basketball, golf, some of those things. And then a warm up for strength training also involves doing some exercises, getting the uh, muscles warmed up, Uh, walking. I I walk to the gym. It's a quarter of a mile. And I walk briskly and so on and there. I'm all ready to do the weightlifting and things. And so uh, it always helps to be warmed up. Progress gradually. Uh, this is the common mistake that almost everybody makes when they start an exercise program. They do too much too soon. And then if they get sore muscles and it hurts, what are they going to say? Yeah, Fooey with this. It hurts. I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> so that's why it's important to ease into it and take your time. Gradually over weeks and months increase your exercise. First of a thing that you increase is your time per day. And so if you start out and you're able to only go five or ten minutes around the block, that's all right. Do that two or three different exercise sessions, rest in between. And then pretty soon you keep working on your time. And when you get your time up where you can go 20 to 30 minutes at a time, then you can begin to do more days. When you're first starting, you might do every other day. It takes an extra day to rest in between. And then as you get your time up, then start increasing the number of days per week till you get up to at least five days per week. And if you can do it daily... That's ideal. Doesn't mean you have to exercise hard every day. You might have some rest days where you just do easy things, too. So the goal is to aim for at least 30 minutes, five days per week. And if that takes you 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, to get there, that's okay. Now, for inactive people, they want to avoid the real strenuous exercise right off. And why might that be a problem? you're not used to exercise, remember we had pictures of those arteries, remember they were starting to close up a little bit, and we said you don't have symptoms until when? They're 90 to 95% plugged. Well, let's take you have somebody in your class who's got his arteries already 95% plugged and it doesn't have any symptoms yet because he doesn't do much. He just walks from here to there and sits down again, <laughs> or her. But you take them out and they start running, what can happen? you can actually precipitate a heart attack because the blood can't get through to the heart. There's a lack of oxygen in the heart. That's what we call ischemia. And when you have ischemia, you're liable to have abnormal beats. And uh, if that starts, you get a fatal arrhythmia, and the person can have a heart attack and die. It does happen all the time. What we hear about a lot is the shoveling of snow, isn't it? So somebody's real sedentary, they get a foot of snow, And he goes out there, well, I can do this, and it's cold out there. Anyway, when you're cold, that also causes your coronary arteries to constrict a little bit, breathing that cold air. And they get out there, and it's hard work doing that snow. (laughs) And they overexert themselves, and first thing you know, they have a heart attack, and they go out, and they're laying in in the driveway, and they're dead. So what we need to do is be careful that we ease into that. And also, again, that's why if they get older or if they have some of these problems, it's good for them to check with their doctor. Now, if they're doing a moderate exercise usually that's not a problem and if they begin to develop symptoms they can go to their doctor course and get help too. Now how much do you progress per week? Here's kind of a general rule. You don't want to progress more than about 10% per week. Now in your first few weeks you may go a little faster than that if you start at a real low level. But let's say that you're walking for uh, 20 minutes uh, at a time. and If you're going to up that what would you do? Well, you just add a couple of minutes. So you go to 20 to 22 to 24. How long is it going to take you to get to half an hour? Eh, just a few weeks, isn't it? Four or five weeks, and you'll be there. And if you do it real gradual like that, it won't overdo. When we're doing marathon training, we do the same thing. So if you're running 10 miles a week, the next week, if you want to up it, you go no more than about 12. And then you go to 14. Then you would go to 16. You see, it goes up pretty fast anyway. And you wouldn't do that each week, but you might do that every two or three weeks. So going up gradually, if you go up gradually, your muscles will get stronger and, uh, and it, your body should adapt. If you're having problems during there and you have sore muscles and your knees begin to get a little sore, what should you do? Just back off a little bit, rest a little more, go every other day. Sometimes it takes 48 hours for all the muscles and things to get healed up again. And uh, then build up gradually, and then don't increase that 10%, and then try it again. But if you have sore muscles, it just means you're going a little too fast. Just ease back a little bit. It doesn't hurt to take a day or two rest off either. So here's the statement from Physical Activity Guidelines for Americans. Inactive people who gradually progress over time to relatively moderate-intensity activities have no known risk of sudden cardiac events and very low risk of bone muscle or joint injuries. So this is their statement. So doing it very gradually at a moderate intensity, the risk is very low. Have no known risks of sudden cardiac disease. It's the big vigorous things where they go really hard and overdue that causes the damage. Okay, another good thing for safety is using the right gear. And uh, one of the important things is your shoes for walking. And you want good shoes. Here's my new balances. Pretty sure their new balance is, yeah, in B. <laughs> and if you look at the running shoe, you see they've got this nice, big, thick, soft stuff. So when my foot hits that concrete or whatever I'm walking on, it makes it a lot. It absorbs the shock, and that helps the knees and the ankles and the feet. And even up here in the front, this is what they call a training shoe. All that, see how thick that is? So it just really helps to absorb that shock, and it helps to spend a little bit. And if you want even softer ones you can get inserts that have even more cushioning. And you can put that in there. And if you have a little trouble with your arch or whatever, you can get uh, insteps that have a little more arch support. So there's a variety of things that you can do. Also, you know, it's made with a, these uh, are kind of beat up and worn out, about ready for a new one. But <laughs> uh, Notice that they are made out of kind of a net. Why is that important? Yeah, you want it to breathe. You've got a lot of sweat glands on the bottom of your feet. I'm not sure why the Lord put it there. <laughs> Uh, but when you're working hard, you, your feet will get wet, and so you need that to breathe. And uh, if you have a hard shoe in there, your foot will get wet, your sock will get wet, and then what happens next? Blisters, yeah. There's two things that cause blisters. One is being wet, softens the skin, and number two is heat. And when that gets hot, then you'll get the blisters. And so this allows some feet to stay cool and to stay dry, and that helps a lot. Even then, when I'm doing... Uh, long marathon sometimes I'll carry an extra pair of socks with me and if I feel they're getting too hot or too wet I'll just stop for a minute and uh, change my socks right quick, put them back on and away I go. uh, I usually got a new pair at least every year and then what happens is you get a lot of older pairs and so it's nasty weather you'll use an old one or something and I've got about or four my wife keeps telling me to throw some of those old ones away <laughs> but you hate to run hate to throw them out you say well that was the last pair I did the Honolulu marathon with or <laughs> I know <laughs> and I just took off the tag <laughs> here for this class because I thought, "Well, you probably better throw it away it's been on there for about six months so the last big race I did but you know I hate to turn it off and finally I did and <laughs> they put the uh the little chip things right in a little thing you can tie under your shoes now. So when you go across, uh, you automatically, they log you on the computer. Uh huh. I was doing the Honolulu marathon, and I uh, called up my brother on my phone. I took my cell phone with me. And I was in Honolulu, and he was back in California. And I said, guess what I'm doing today? And uh, he says, I know. He says, you're running the race. He started giving me my times. <laughs> for the first quarter and a half, you know, and so on. Well, how do you know all that? <laughs> he says, well, you told me your race number. And he says, I've been tra- tracking you on the computer. And he says, every time you go across, I, your number pops up and I can track you and know exactly what you're doing. And he knew my pace better than I did. So it's kind of neat nowadays what they can do. So try a shoe. Uh, get some help from the shoe people. If you go to a place where they have people who are used to giving you some help, it's good. You'll see there's kind of a... little color wedge and things in here, this is a little harder material. That's to keep my foot from pronating. And some people, alignment is not as good as others. And when you pronate, your foot tends to go in. If you take an old pair of shoes and look at them, you can quickly see. If they start to run over on the inside, that's called pronation. That puts strain on the knees. And the knees help to keep prevent that. So when I wear these, I never have that problem. So they can help you with that and make sure the pair is real comfortable. This little part right in here. And they'll tell you that if you need a pair that helps you keep them from pronating. But sure does a world. I, I, when I started running, they didn't have running shoes yet, really. And uh, I used to have blisters all the time. But since they have the new shoes, uh, they just really, really help. Which one do you say is uh, best for them? Uh, well, my, everybody has their preference. So I think they're all probably good. But I like New Balance and Nike's so the, are the best for me. That's what I've had the best luck with. I wouldn't use ankle weights. <laughs> Is there a reason why? Uh, well, first of all, there's no evidence that it's beneficial. And you change your way your body's handling your feet, your, bra- your brain gets used to heavy feet, and you take them off, and your brain has to readjust again and things. If you want more exercise, just run faster. <laughs> you don't have to worry about ankle weights. I was oh, okay. <laughs> Our family, we delivered 24,000 phone books for Wow. Uh-huh. and my knee started causing me so much trouble that I was actually paralyzed. I couldn't even move my leg anymore. Wow. I got to the door, and I was totally stuck. What to do with it. extreme pain. Uh-huh. I thought, what are we going to do? How am I going to finish this project? Uh-huh. And we bought new shoes, and the pain was instantly gone. Wow. Instantly gone. The next day, I was out. I was running. <laughs> I couldn't feel so good, and it was my shoes. Yeah. And I noticed even. Mm-hmm. And on Monday or so, my left knee was in severe pain. Again. Mm-hmm. And it's the shoes. Mm-hmm. It's the Make shoes a lot of the difference, the don't they? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Oh, I looked for keratin balance yesterday after you said those were the best. Oh. <laughs> uh, we were uh, shopping for a couple of days. I ended up wearing Nikes. But he was telling good. me, the salesman was saying, talking about the cushioning, about the gel and the foam and the air. And I, I couldn't really conclude what was the best mm-hmm. type of cushioning. I don't know either. They they always have these new technologies and and uh, uh, you try them out and see what you like. But there's uh, and sometimes they have the gel in your insole and things too. So they're all good. If you like one better than another, you know that's fine. But they're all good. The only problem with the air problem with the air is when they these little things pop, <laughs> then all the air is out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then, of course, in hot weather, what do you need to do? You need to dress down, don't you? You want as few clothes on as you can. I'm always amazed. Sometimes there's people out there, even on a hot day, and they have a sweatshirt on. They've got their hood up. And they think that by sweating, that's going to help them to be more fit. The only thing that that trains is your sweat glands. It doesn't do anything for your heart or your arteries. And it's uh, hard on you. You get your body temperature up there, it's hard on you. You want to be cool as possible. And that's uh, why the Lord designed us, to sweat and the the air blowing over it, to cool you down. So don't wear lots of clothes. Try to use as few as you can. And then, of course, up in our country, when it's cold, you need warm clothes, don't you? And you need a hat usually for your head. You need gloves for your hands because when you're running or exercising hard, the blood kind of tends to shut down a little bit in there anyway. So nice warm socks, Uh, same kind of shoes usually, and and just make sure that you're you're warm. And you also want to do layers. If the wind is blowing, it's nice to have some warm things with a windbreaker over it and a nice cap that comes clear down over your ears. And then if it's rainy, it's nice to have something that will shed the water a little bit. But uh, Nike says there's no bad weather, just you're underdressed. There's enough clothing that you can go out in almost any condition if you uh, get the right kind of gear. Of course, for biking, you want to make sure that you have helmet and gloves, don't you? So if you fall off your bike... You want to protect that head, don't you? Most serious injuries that come from biking are head injuries, and that helps prevent that. And swim goggles for swimming and getting the right gear makes it safe, makes it more fun, and uh, you'll have fewer injuries. Be careful of the roadways when you're out walking and running. Cars are pretty dangerous kinds of things. I like to stay as far away from them as you can. Sometimes you can't avoid it, but as much as possible. You see they're on a bike path there. We have lots of bike paths in Portland, and most of the time we ride there. Occasionally we have to get out on the road. But if you do, one of the most important safety gears I've found over the years is a little mirror that clips on right here, and I can watch every car and truck that comes. And if they don't get off far enough, I can get off right in the ditch if I have to. (laughs) It attaches right to your right here. It sticks out in front. And once you get used to it, you hardly notice it's there, but you can just glance up there and you can see every car that's coming behind you. And it's very, very important for if you have to ride along a road. Just because I ride so much, I've run thousands of miles on roads, but I, I like to watch and see what's coming and that's very important for safety. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's about it. <laughs> uh, a couple summers ago, I was riding across Austria, and I, I rode into this uh, town. And they were having a great big celebration. They were all sitting around the tables with their beers of mug, and they were pounding their beers of mug and jumping up and shouting and singing and having a, a great big time. <laughs> <laughs> and I come riding by and I stopped and was watching them. They got to looking at me. One guy hopped up from his table, and ran out there, and he got his face about that far from the mirror. And he says, "What in the world is that thing?" <laughs> He'd never seen one before. It looks kind of strange sitting out there. And that's my rearview mirror. Oh, cool idea! <laughs> and he went back to his beer, <laughs> keeping up his party. <laughs> so if they don't know what it is, people give you some funny looks once in a while. But. <laughs> You can put it on your helmet. That's what my wife does. You can stick it right to the side of the helmet. Or you put it on sunglasses. Yeah, or put it on your sunglasses. So where were we exercising to, safe environments. biking or walking paths are, are better, well-lighted sidewalks. Uh, walk in a park, uh, getting out on the trails and things, away from the cars and things that are all more pleasant, aren't they, and safer? And uh, exercise in safe neighborhoods. There's some neighborhoods that you might not want to exercise in after dark and things. Be careful of that. You might even want to get in the car and go to a place. And if you exercise in groups, it's sometimes safer in certain areas and not, uh, especially for women, to be isolated alone in areas. Be where there's lots of people in safer areas. <laughs> what is that? Or take a big, mean looking dog? Dog and <laughs> a <laughs> Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh huh. So the other night there was, like six of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we need to be careful, don't we? Uh, I, I, I read a story of a nurse that went to Hong Kong. And she lived in kind of a poor area of Hong Kong, I guess. She was a little nervous going out running. And uh, so she got a great big needle from the hospital, one of those big things about like that. And she carried it in this hand. <laughs> and she went jogging, and everybody gave her lots of room. They <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to get stuck with that needle. <laughs> and I was over in uh, Romania one time, and I'm running out through the country. And when you run, sometimes the dogs chase you. <laughs> you have to be ready for that. So when I'm in a strange area, I would get a stick in this hand, and a big rock in this hand, <laughs> <I'm> running out <laughs> through the country, because I want to be prepared. I've been bitten a few times, yeah. and so the people were saying, "Well, how did you go running?" He says, "We're afraid of the dogs out there." And I said, "Well, I had a rock in this hand and a stick in this hand, and I made it okay." Oh, <laughs> they're serious, huh? Okay. So, what should uh, you do if you have a health problem? So, you need to contact your health care yeah. provider and talk things over with them, don't you? Especially if you have some of these conditions. And as we mentioned earlier, even if you have osteoarthritis, you still need to be exercising, don't you? I had an uncle who was a physician, and he had hurt his ankle years before, and arthritis had set into it. And uh, whenever I tried to get him to walk, he said, I can't walk, I have a bad ankle. That was the end of the story. <laughs> then he developed a heart problem. And the cardiologist told him, you've got to walk, or you're not going to live. <laughs> You need to exercise that heart. So he started out going slowly and a little further and a little further. Pretty soon he was up to walking four and five miles a day. I said, hey, uncle, I thought you couldn't walk. (laughs) Well, he says, I found that I went careful. He says I could get it up there. And he says it still hurts once in a while, but it doesn't hurt anymore. And it did. So everybody needs exercise, don't you, even if you have a problem. So you have to stay within your limits. It may hurt a little bit or whatever. But what we find is most people with osteoarthritis, if you're active, you actually have less pain. You need to do low-impact kinds of things. And you may want to do bicycling. You might want to do swimming and other kinds of things, too. And a lot of people can do the walking, just not to overdo it. But it will actually help symptoms. Now, what if you have chest pain, dizziness, or severe joint pain when you're walking? These are signs you need to (coughs) stop. and, and in here, usually just a little rest will take care of that. But if it doesn't, it keeps getting worse. You need to get some medical care. But these are abnormal signs. You need to go to your doctor, get those checked out, see what's happening. And we now. I read a study where even gradually you build up what did. It can even be good for you to find what agrees with the person. If they're real heavy. That's probably contraindicated, Uh, but that's probably what's caused the arthritis. Sometimes people say, well, if I run, it's going to cause arthritis. Actually, the research shows that that's not true. Runners don't get any more arthritis than anyone else. The one thing that we do know that causes arthritis for sure is heavy weight, and people who are real heavy and don't exercise a lot, they're the ones that's most likely to get arthritis in the knees. So uh, getting the weight down if you can and going easy, and if you can't run, walk most people can walk or they can find water aerobics and other kinds of activities they do. Well there's a form that the participant will sign. Uh-huh. So with that you don't require or need the actual doctor's signature that says, you know, You're doing an educational program and the, the route that I have always used, or the tech, is that uh, we're here to give you good education but you have to be responsible for your own health. Mm-hmm. We'll advise you, on what the best guidelines, and you take these right from, you'll notice down here the American guidelines for exercise and so on. That's where I'm taking most of these. Sometimes it's just copied word for word. These are the guidelines. If we give good guidelines, then the people, it's their responsibility to take care of themselves. And if you see something that they're not doing, it's good to warn them. But they, they, the responsibility has to be on their own, and that's what I usually have them sign. So I'm responsible for my own health, and if I need to see the doctor, I'll do that and take care of it. We have that to you, and you keep it. Mm-hmm. And there's a sample in your book there. That's one from the American College of Sports Medicine. It's probably a little heavier than you need to do, but (laughs) it gives you an example. Now, who else should see a doctor? (laughs) Anyone who plans on remaining sedentary is at increased risk (laughs) for early mortality and diabetes and obesity. So people always say, well, if you're going to exercise, you should see the doctor. Well, it's also true if you're not going to exercise, it's even more important that you see the doctor, right? Right. Because following a sedentary lifestyle is even riskier. (laughs) So you can't remove all risk in life, but uh, we can be prudent, can't we? So how about vigorous activity? So here's uh, their guidelines again. A healthy person who is habitually active with moderate intensity activity can gradually increase to vigorous intensity without needing to consult a healthcare provider. That's the recommendations for the nation. So, if you're already used to doing moderate exercise, your body is used to that, and you want to go to vigorous, if you work at it gradually, there's probably no contraindication why most people shouldn't be able to do that. But people who develop new symptoms when increasing their levels of activity should consult a healthcare provider. So, if you get any of those kinds of problems we were talking about earlier, then just check with your doctor and make sure. How about if you have pregnant women? in your classes or starting to exercise. Here's the recommendation. Moderate intensity physical activity is generally safe for women with uncomplicated pregnancies. My own uh, uh, daughter-in-law jogged all through her pregnancy up until almost the last day. (laughs) I think maybe the last week she slacked off a little. (laughs) But uh, uh, she was a diehard runner, and and, uh, she just ran easy and was no problems but anyway they're recommending moderate intensity for for that time is probably best for most of them and women should talk with their providers about how to adjust the amounts and types of activities we don't want to cause a problem and we wouldn't recommend going hard and especially increasing body temperature so going easy is what's recommended during pregnancy women should avoid activities that involve lying on their back after the first trimester and do activities with high risk of falling or abdominal trauma. So some things are listed. My wife with our first son uh, was about a week over. So she went horseback riding the, for just a little bit the day he was born. I <laughs> was back in our early days. <laughs> she walked five miles that morning and then rode a horse that afternoon, and he was born that night. <laughs> she was trying to do something to get things going. When you're young, you do foolish things, don't you? (laughs) So exercise program, here's just kind of a sample showing how to uh, gradually work into things. So a person hasn't been doing exercise regularly, uh, gradually working up to walking three hours per week is the goal. So the first week or two, they might just walk for 10 minutes a day, three days a week. The idea of going every other day is an easy way for the body to adjust and people to get started. And then by week three, maybe you walk 15 minutes per day for three days per week. And you see that's about only 45 minutes per week total. And then week four, you might be going up to 20 minutes three times a day. That gives you up to an hour. And then weeks five to eight, you continue adding five minutes per day per week and uh, exercising three days per week at first. And then uh, by week eight, you'll be going uh, more often. So you're up to 120 minutes per week. And then weeks nine, they're adding one more day a week there. You see how they're just gradually putting that up? So four days a week now. They might also add some other activities they might like to do on the weekend, going biking and other kinds of things to do some variety of things. And then weeks 10 and 12, they continue. They're up now to doing five days per week, 30 to 40 minutes per day At 150 to 180 minutes per week, that would be the three hours. And they're up there doing what's being recommended. And then if you want to do some more things, maybe once a week you do something a little longer. And this is what you do to get your endurance up. So when you're training for a marathon, you might do your regular exercise during the week. And then on the weekend, you go out and you do something longer. So if you've been used to working an hour a day, you'd go out and do an hour and a half. And later on, maybe up to an hour or two hours, and then up to three hours. So you gradually work your way up to longer distances. And some varieties of things. That's what you're doing. You get into shape so you can enjoy activities, isn't it? To do a variety of things. So that's kind of an idea. It gives you an example of someone who's not used to exercise, how they can ease into it carefully. All right. Here's one of the things that can happen. What can we do to prevent blisters? Well, we talked about wearing the right kinds of shoes. And ones that fit you. You don't want them to rub anywhere. Or you don't want them so big that your feet are moving around in there and sliding and slipping. Uh, keep the feet dry and cool. We've talked about that. Let them breathe. And uh, I have found that cotton and athletic breathable socks, they make special socks just for walking and running, are the best. I found that the, for me, if it's the nylon material, and they don't absorb the moisture well, and uh, they seem to rub your feet, and I get blisters more likely with them. I find the very best with cotton. I don't have cotton on now, but if I was going very far, I'd take these socks off and put the ones on I had yesterday again, just cotton ones. I found that they've always worked the best for me. You can get real fancy socks that have two layers for running. So if there's any friction, it's between the layers of socks instead of your feet, and that can help too. And when you're doing the longer distances, if you have trouble with blisters, this is something I learned early on, just grease them up. Do you find when you go walking, you get a certain spot that rubs and gets hot and gets sore? Well, if you know where that spot is, before you even take your first step, you just take some Vaseline and grease it up. But what causes heat is friction. And if you put a little Vaseline on there, you reduce that friction, and it reduces the rubbing, and you're less likely to get a blister. Almost everyone who runs marathons now, that's Just because I've done a lot of that, I use as an example, you don't have to run marathons. But we always grease our feet before you go. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org